0: Well, good morning. Before I begin, we're going to kick off a new sermon series today. Uh, But before I begin, I want to give credit to Craig Rochelle. Um, uh, As I prepared for this week, there was one particular of his messages that really spoke to me. So I'm using his outline and a few of his illustrations. So I want to give credit to that. I'm going to begin with uh, some song lyrics. And people of a certain age, uh, basically my age and up, probably give or take a few years, are going to recognize this. Now, if you're feeling kind of low about the dues you've been paying, future's coming much too slow. And you want to run, but somehow you just keep on staying, can't decide which way to go. I understand about indecision, but I don't care if I get behind. People living in competition. All I want is to have my peace of mind. Anybody recognize that? A few? I see a couple hands. Okay. Uh, Those words are the first verse and chorus of a song that I remember listening to in high school on my eight-track player, in my first vehicle, a 1972 a GMC truck. Boston was the group, and the song is Peace of Mind. And whenever I hear it on the radio, it, it takes, me, takes me back. All I want is to have my peace of mind. Isn't that true? That resonates with me. To have peace of mind. I'm not saying we should take life advice from a 70s rock group, but, but that resonates me. Peace of mind. Peace of mind about who I am. What I'm doing in life. Peace of mind about my relationship with God, my identity in Christ. Peace of mind that comes from being in a good place with those that I love. I want peace of mind. But let's be real. Peace of mind seems to be in short supply in our world. You know, I did some reading this past week in preparation, and according to several different articles and surveys, mental health concerns are rising. of adults experience some kind of ongoing mental illness, and over half of those adults do not receive any kind of treatment. And the percentages in both categories are significantly higher in teens and young adults. One article, they did a national survey of the different states and this and that, and Kansas was dead last in people having access to the mental health that they need. But regardless of the state across the nation, anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation, etc., are being reported in startling numbers. So this is something that we need to talk about. And I want to begin up front by stating that I'm not a mental health expert, okay? So I want to be careful in how I approach today's sermon and today the rest of the sermon series, which will be the next four weeks. I don't want to add any burden or any weight or any type of guilt or shame if you struggle with your mental health. Clearly, there are multiple factors that play into mental health. I don't want this to come across as simplistic either. I don't want to add any burden to you. But I do want you to hear that God loves you, that God understands. I want you to hear that God's Word can be a source of help and healing. And I want you to know that you're not alone. You know, I've got good friends who struggle with depression and anxiety. In some cases, it was during a certain period of life, but others it's been a lifelong journey. I've got friends and loved ones who, for them, counseling was important for a while. For some, it's ongoing. For some, medication was important for a while. For some it's it's ongoing. I've had people I cared deeply about take their own lives, those who were Christian and those who were not. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that we need to talk about this and to seek help and wisdom in the scriptures and to remove the stigma that sometimes is around these topics, especially in Christian circles. I mean, if I have a problem with a part of my body, I all see a doctor and it's, it's no stigma to take medication. But if something is wrong with my mind, brain chemistry through no fault of my own, and I need to take medication, sometimes there's a stigma. So we want to remove that stigma. And today we're starting with a topic of of anxiety. Now I'm a pretty even guy. If you know me, I I don't get too up. I don't get too down. Not too much tends to rile me up. But, you know, there have been some times in my life, especially when I was younger, I was a painfully shy kid, where I experienced anxiety that threatened to to overcome me. A racing heart. Your mind's just going 100 miles an hour. Uh, Your body is flushed. You think everybody's looking at you and knows what's going on and it just you just need to get out of the situation. Now I know for some people that's not just something that happens maybe a handful of times in their life, but something that's an ongoing struggle. We're walking into a new situation with people you don't know is almost too much, or there's too many people and it's overwhelming, or the weight of expectations becomes so heavy because you fear you can't, you, you just can't can't meet them. So I want to repeat before we jump into the text for today. I'm not an expert, and in many cases, I would advise you to get help from a physician or a therapist or a psychiatrist. But I do think it's important for us to, to talk about it from a spiritual standpoint as well, because that that's a very important thing for us who call ourselves Christian. So let's begin by looking at a story from Second Chronicles chapter twenty. In this passage we find King Jehoshaphat, try saying that quickly five times. King Jehoshaphat was one of the good kings. He's the king of the southern kingdom of Judah. And in chapter 20, he finds himself in a situation that's causing a lot of anxiety. He's under attack. Judah's under attack. Verse 1. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Mennonites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. That's a lot of ites, okay? Not one, not two, but three different enemy armies, and they're ganging up on Judah. And he's overwhelmed. He's anxious. He's alarmed. He has this responsibility for the people of Israel. No doubt his own family as well. He's anxious about what's going to happen. Do you ever feel like you're being ganged up on from several sides? Most of us, we can handle one big stressor. Maybe work isn't going so well. It's really, really a, a problem. But then you throw on maybe a difficult, ongoing relationship with a loved one. And then the furnace breaks, needs to be replaced, and you don't, you know, the money's tight. Or, and you develop a, a, a health issue, and, and then the craziness of the world in which we live, and it creates more stress, and it keeps getting ramped up, and anxiety becomes a, a daily companion. Even our children. Look at studies. Even our children, grade school kids, are struggling with anxiety. And if you're a Christian... Maybe you feel even a little bit like a failure because, you know, we know the verses. Rejoice always, and, you know, don't be anxious, have peace. And so maybe it's, it's, it's hard to feel like you can even talk about it. So you just hunker down, you, you bow your back, you keep moving forward, which can then just compound the, the issues. So what do we do if, if anxiety is a struggle and a problem that's taking its toll in our lives? The first thing we need to remember is that anxiety isn't, isn't a sin. I mean, look at Jesus' life. It's the night before he goes to the cross. He, he's, he knows he's being betrayed by one of his closest friends. He knows the rest of them are going to abandon him in fear. And so he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. He kneels down in prayer under great pressure, great anxiety. And he begs God, God, is there any other way? I really don't want to do this. Is there any other way? Can you remove this, this, this cup of suffering? And he sweats literal drops of blood in agony as he wrestles with this, this anxiety and, and then submits his will to God. Not my will. I don't want to do this. Not my will. I don't want to do this. Not my will, but your will be done. So anxiety, it's not a sin. It's a, it's, it's a symptom or it's, it's a signal, more of a signal. For example, say you're driving your car. The engine light comes on. The light is a signal that there's some sort of issue that needs to be addressed. In the same way, if you find yourself battling with anxiety, it's a signal alerting you that there's something that needs to be addressed. There's, there's, there's a danger, there's a threat, something you need to work through. And in the passages today, we see this, this anxiety that Jehoshaphat experiences, surrounded by three enemy armies. We see it signal him to do three things spiritually. Let's take a look at his response. Verse 3. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. He proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. And the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. So he's, he's anxious. He's surrounded by three harmonies. He issues a call to prayer and fasting. It says he resolved. He made an intention. He followed through. To inquire of the Lord. It wasn't just thoughts and prayers. It was he prayed. He sought the Lord earnestly. The anxiety he felt, the situation he was in, was a, a signal telling him, it's time to pray. Seek God for help. Listen to his prayer. Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand. No one can withstand you. If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and we will cry out in distress, and you will hear us, and you will save us. That's something we can do. God, I put my trust in you. God, I feel overwhelmed. God, I don't see a way out, but I trust you. Help me, God. You see this modeled over and over in the scriptures, most especially in in the Psalms. For example, King David, Psalm 69. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I can barely keep my head above water. I'm just about to drown. Throw me a lifeline, God. Help me. Anxiety is a signal for us to cry out to God, a signal to pray. Dr. Carolyn Leaf is the author of the book, Switch On Your Brain. And she's a communication pathologist and cognitive neuroscientist with a master in Ph.D. in communication pathology and a B.S.C. in logopedics, specializing in cognitive and metacognitive neurology. Just a mouthful, okay? But one area she's done a lot of research in is, is the impact of prayer on our mental health. She writes, it's been found that in 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period, it can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. Twelve minutes a day. That's the power of God. So you right, not only does prayer touch the heart of God, but prayer changes, can change the chemistry of your brain, which I find really encouraging because there are times my mind can get stuck in a pattern, worrying about this, anxious about that, frustrated with that, overwhelmed by this, thought patterns which can lead me to be discouraged or frustrated or whatever, and I need to get unstuck. And and, and this doctor's research shows that our brains can change for the better and adapt, which is called neuroplasticity. Basically, the more you think a thought, the more often you think that thought, you begin to create these these neural pathways through this brain that God designed. And God's Word says that His Word can help to renew our minds as we focus on it. And prayer can not only just touch the heart of God, but it can also begin to renew our minds. Again, this is a, this is a spiritual response. There, there's also times when we also need to consider medical and psychological responses also. And the way that God designed our brain is that the amygdala, the part of the brain that kind of is our alarm system, when it perceives a, a threat, it's, it basically goes, danger, danger, danger. And that's well and good, but the problem is when that alarm keeps going off over and over and over again, like with P- PTSD, you know, soldiers or maybe kids who've grown up with trauma, they're on constant high alert. And it can become a problem for any of us when we begin to live or dwell on the alarm. I mean, every, every Sunday morning, except when I preach, I wait I a little extra time. But when I preach, especially, or when I used to lead worship, I would set my alarm really early. And every five minutes or so, I would uh, do it three times. So to make sure that I, if I, I wouldn't oversleep, because that's, that's like a pastor's you know, nightmare, crazy anxiety. I don't want to get in late. I don't want to oversleep. I want to make sure I'm ready. But what if I set my alarm to go off every five minutes throughout the night just to be extra careful because I'm anxious about not getting up in time? I'd never get any sleep. I'd never get any rest. I wouldn't have any peace. If I were to live like that, if I were to dwell in the alarm, the anxiety, you could see where that would take me. The word in Scripture most often translated as anxiety is the word meramano. Me make sure I got that right. Meranaho. Which literally means to, to dwell or ponder on a fearful or anxious thought. To, it's an image of ne, ne, uh, meditating on the negative. Just kind of going over it and over it and over it in your head. Do you ever do that? And when we do that, we train our brains to be anxious. This could go wrong, that could go wrong, what about that? And these neural pathways begin to focus on the negative. Which is a natural thing. We all tend to worry about certain things. But but where prayer comes in, prayer is not natural. Prayer is is supernatural. And supernatural prayer, as we crowd to God, as we seek the heart of God, it can can help us to, to break that cycle. It can take our minds off of what we're afraid of or anxious about. Well, A verse that was given to me when I was in, uh, in high school, because I said I was very, very shy, was 2 uh, Timothy 1.7, where, where Paul writes, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Prayer breaks, can help to break the cycle. And it doesn't just touch the heart of God, it can actually renew and change our mind. So remember, anxiety is, is, is a signal saying, take it to God, cry out to God. And this is what Jehoshaphat does. Verse six. "O Lord God of heaven, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. And then he goes on to list some of the things that God has done for the people of God. And in the last part of verse 9 he prays, We will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. And then verse 12, For we have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. You ever feel that way? It's just too much. I cannot handle it. Can't get it done. Don't have what it takes. I don't know if I can go on. Jehoshaphat that's what he says. We don't know what to do. But then he says, but my eyes are on you. I'm looking to you. I'm, I'm desperate for you. I'm looking at your character. I'm looking at your love. I'm looking at your faithfulness. I'm looking at your, your forgiveness. I'm looking at your grace. I'm believing that you're working in me and through me in my circumstances. I don't know what to do, God, but, but my eyes are on you. I'm just hanging on to you. First Peter 5 tells us that we are to cast all of our anxiety on God because he cares for us. Cast, of course, makes me think of fishing. You, you throw something out. You throw something out over the water. Prayer is like that. You, you throw your anxiety before God. I don't know what to do about my marriage or my kids or about my singleness. I'm confused about my, about my future. I'm discouraged about my health. I'm losing hope. God, the world is crazy. What is going on? You cast the things that make you anxious. You throw them before God, and you trust that He cares for you. And you believe that He is working, and you stand upon His promises. Anxiety, it's a signal alerting us that we are not designed to do this on our own. That it's time to take it to God in prayer. And then next we see... Another step that uh, Jehoshaphat does in response to the anxiety that he's experiencing, he hits pause. He does this after prayer. He says, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And all the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. They, they pray and they pause. They wait upon God. Again, we see this in the scriptures, the psalmist. This is what's going on. I'm, I'm angry about this. I'm frustrated with this. I feel alone. My enemies are going to win. My family life is going crazy. But I'm going to wait on you, God. They express, they cast the anxiety, and then they wait. Which is a good thing to do. Because we're not supposed to run ahead and try to control things or try to fix things. It usually doesn't go well. But to wait, to cast it before God, then to hit pause. Let God do His thing in us and in our situation. Okay, so you're doing that. You're praying, you're waiting on God. Does God then heal you of anxiety? Well, maybe. Sometimes he might. Sometimes he does. Sometimes it's more of a process. For some, it might be a lifelong struggle. But God can use these things to draw us closer to him. Sometimes he, he directs you to a Bible verse that starts to renew your mind. Sometimes he helps you and prompts you to change your lifestyle regarding your diet or your sleep or certain relationships that are, are really not helpful. Sometimes he helps you find a doctor or a counselor who helps you through treatment, medication, or therapy. Sometimes it's a combination of all of the above. Regardless of what is needed, it begins with God. So take it to God and then wait upon God, which is what Jehoshaphat does. And then what happens? It's a pretty short wait. For a lot of us, it's a lot longer wait. But in this situation, it's a pretty short wait. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon Jehaziel, a prophet, who says this in verse 15. Don't be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. The God's message is, I'm with you, I'm for you, I care about you, my power is real, I'm not going to leave you, I'm not going to forsake you. You're not in this alone. Which we need to hear when we're struggling with, with some sort of anxiety. And we see here that a spiritual response to anxiety is not only prayer, not only hitting pause and waiting on God, next it's a a response of praise. Because he prays, God, we believe you. You're faithful. We're going to wait on you. And then he does something kind of odd, which I would not have thought of, would not have been my first military move. He sends out his worship team. His organist, his drummers, his guitarists, his pianists, his singers, he sends them out and puts them on the front lines. Now, if I was facing overwhelming odds from enemy forces, I would send out my best warriors, you know, a SEAL team, John Wick, the Guardians of the Galaxy, you know. But Jehoshaphat, he sends out worship leaders. Now, Paul is, he's a good-sized guy. He's in pretty good shape. He can probably take care of himself. But I'm not sending him to face an enemy with a guitar and a microphone. This is not going not to go well, right? But Jehoshaphat, he sends his worship team and the worshipers go out and they start praising God before there was a victory. And by some miracle, the enemy forces, this alliance falls apart. They turn on each other and destroy themselves. God does a miracle. But they don't just praise God after the victory. They praise God before the victory. It's easy to praise God when, when the reason for our anxiety is gone, but we are to praise him while it's still there while we're in the middle of it, while we're facing it. That's what Jehoshaphat and the people of God did. What was the result? And the fear of God came across the land, and the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his, God had given him rest on every side. The God fought the battle, and God gave them rest. Spiritually, what do we do when we experience anxiety? Allow me to paraphrase Philippians 4, 6. Of course, we pray, we pause, we praise him. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, whatever you're facing, when you don't know what to do, by prayer, take it to God and petition with thanksgiving, present your request, cast your cares on God. And then it goes on to say, in the peace of God, the the rest of God, Which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's how we fight our battles. It may look like we're surrounded, but God is all around us, and God is with us, and God is for us. So, before I close here, again, there are many aspects to our mental health in the area of anxiety. Each of us on different spectrums, this may not be an issue for you, it may be be episodical, it might be a lifelong struggle. And there's all sorts of different approaches, the medical, the psychological. But we all need to take the spiritual approach as well. We can turn to God to pray, to pause, and to praise. Because Jesus is the one who came to give peace. Peace that only he can give. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you that you are a God that we can trust, a God who is with us, a God who is for us, a God who is around us, a God who works within us. Today, Lord, we come before you and we pray for those of us who hear my voice, who struggle with anxiety, a variety of, of times and intensities. And Lord, we ask for your help to fight for us and to fight with us. Help us to stand upon your promises and your truth. Lord, help us to turn to you and give us patience and faith to wait on you. Give us the courage and strength to seek the help that we need. In the meantime, Lord, we, we praise you and we worship you. And we give you the glory for you are God and you are Lord and you are King. And we love you. In Jesus' name, Lord, give us your peace. Amen.